toward the bars, my back straight and chin up, but my elbows tucked in close about the soft lower part of my ribcage. A hand slides out of the guard's silhouette, offering me something, and I reach for it slowly, expecting it to be pulled back, surprised when it is not. I take hold of it, feeling the envelope smooth and sharp against my fingers. The guard walks away, pausing only to raise his hand and pluck delicately at the wire of the bulb, sending the light into an uneasy shivering. Someone curses, and I shut my eyes against the dizziness. When I open them again, the shadows are almost still, and I can make out the grime on my fingers against the white of the envelope. My name in the handwriting of a woman I know well. I don't read it not even when I notice the damp imprints my fingers begin to leave in the paper. Chapter 2 Judgment Before Intermission You sit behind a high desk, wearing a black robe and a white wig, tastefully powdered. The cast begins to enter, filing into this chamber of dim tube lights and slow-turning ceiling fans. Murad Badshah, the partner in crime, remorselessly large, staggeringly, stutteringly eloquent. Aurangzeb, the best friend, righteously treacherous, impeccably dressed, unfairly sexy. And radiant, moth-burning Mumtaz, wife, mother, and lover. Three players in this trial of intimates, witnesses and liars all. They are pursued by a pair of hawk-faced men, dressed in black and white, both forbidding, both hungry, but one tall and slender, the other short and fat. Two reflections of the same soul in the cosmic house of mirrors, or uncanny coincidence. It is impossible to say. Their eyes flick about them, their lips silently voice oratories of power and emotion. To be human is to know them, to know what such beings are and must be. These two are lawyers. A steady stream of commoners and nobles follows, their diversity the work of a skilled casting director. They take their places with a silent murmur, moving slowly, every hesitation well rehearsed. A brief but stylish crowd scene. And above it all, you preside, like the marble rider of some great equestrian statue. Then a pause, a silence, all eyes turn to the door. He enters. The accused. Darashiko Shezad. A hard man with shadowed eyes, manacled, cuffed, disheveled, proud, erect. A man capable of anything and afraid of nothing. Two guards accompany him, and yes, they are brutes, but they would offer scant reassurance if this man were not chained. He is the terrible, almost hero of a great story. Powerful, tragic, and dangerous. He alone meets your eyes. And then he is seated, and it begins. Your gavel falls like the hammer of God. Perhaps a query, where did I get this thing, flashes through your mind before vanishing forever, like a firefly in the belly of a frog. But the die has been cast. There is no going back. The case is announced. 
the prosecutor rises to his feet, and his opening remarks reek of closure. Me lord, he says, and he means you. The court has before it today a case no less clear than the task of the executioner. The accused has stretched out his neck beneath the heavy blade of justice, and there is no question but that this blade must fall. For he has blood on his hands, my lord. Young blood. The blood of a child. He killed not out of anger, not out of scheme or plan or design. He killed as a serpent killed that which it does not intend to eat. He killed out of indifference. He killed because his nature is to kill, because the death of a child has no meaning for him. There can be no doubt here, my lord. No more facts exist to be found. The balancing of scales awaits, my lord.